Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. It's a bye week Tuesday, but we're going to talk well, some football with our buddy Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist, talking about USC turning the tables a little bit, winning three in a row, and uh, you know, now with a bye week and then a Thursday game against California. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com's email address or all our contact information is on our website peristylepodcast.com please subscribe on itunes itunes.com slash peristylepodcast but we're on audio boom stitcher radio tune in all the different apps uh, if you want to try to find the podcast a lot of different ways to consume it get a hold of us we love to hear from you we do have a lot of questions that have come in um this week and you know because there's some time to kind of reflect a little bit we wanted to bring in dan weber and get his thoughts on what everything's been going on what's up dan how you doing uh, doing good. You know, time to, you know, catch your breath and focus on the, uh, you know, the final five games of the regular season and uh, see where this goes uh, in a better place than they were, uh, you know, a month ago. That's for sure. Yeah, certainly are. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of people at the, the one and three marked, you know, obviously not exa- very excited. There's kind of mixed feelings and stuff now. But USC took care of business, won a road game. Um, so I think it was a nice, uh, nice, you know, nice turnaround, certainly for the team. One little bit of bad news coming out of the, uh, the game in Tucson, uh, with Steven Mitchell. And I know Clay Helton got to talk about that on Sunday. Maybe, maybe share what he had to say about Steven Mitchell's injury. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about Steven and we noticed this from the very you know first moment we saw him, I mean, we actually saw his videos at, uh, you know, Bishop Alamany when he was just doing some remarkable things his senior year. And I guess there was that game against uh, Modern Day. And uh, and then he showed up in the summer and he worked so hard. He tried so hard and he ended up, uh, you know, on a one-on-one situation making, you know, one of those impossible moves. And it was too, you know, too much for his knee to hold up and uh, non-contact and he goes down with a, you know, an ACL and knee surgery before he even gets here. And the thing you always remembered about Steven is he really wanted to be good. He wanted to be great. And he really, really, you know, he just had, there was, there was that sense, uh, you know, about him that the players, I think really always, you know, felt uh, it just was, you know, a kind of a bond with Steven because they knew how badly he, he really wanted it. And I think that, was reflected in kind of the way everybody reacted because you kind of had that feeling when he went down in, on the other side trying to field that punt. You know, it was one of those plays where it was a, like a 23-yard line drive bouncing punt that pretty much was behind their coverage. I mean, they were doing some screwy things to keep the ball away from Adore. And uh, it was one of those ones where if you can catch it and, and take off with it, the coverage guys are almost behind you. Well, it was kind of close in terms of where they were, and he grabbed it, tried to grab it, uh, kind of avoiding the Arizona coverage guys, trying to make the turn at the sideline, trying to hold on to the ball, and it was all just a little bit too much for his, his plant knee to, 
to handle. And when he went down the way he did, you had a bad feeling that 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 was going to be the result of a torn ACL. And and so it was, I mean, I think the, the sense is it's very much of a personal thing. Uh, Stephen has graduated, um, you know, been been one of the, you know, kind of the leaders for the younger guys, the wide receiver group, I think, especially. I mean, when you look at it, it's a position if you're just being, you know, brutally, you know, uh, you know, cold about it and analytical, you say, hey, you know, Deontay Burnett is coming along and Jalen Green and they have guys in place, but they don't have, you know, somebody like Steven. I mean, he just had a, a kind of a, a, a personality that I just think um, the guys just were, were all part of, you know, what Steven was doing. And, uh, and that, you know, they'll miss that. I was, I heard the other day though, he was in the weight room on Monday working out, um, working his upper body and, you know, that kind of shows you what kind of, you know, kid, kid you're talking about. I'm guessing they won't do the surgery until the swelling goes down, but, um, it is a, it's just a sad, you know, personal deal to you know to have a kid you know who's worked so hard go down and 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 miss the rest of the season yeah unfortunate news for uh steven mitchell so it'll be interesting to see what this what this team does deontay burnett's gonna have to step up for sure um and i thought he's been playing pretty well dan yeah uh, i think in in a lot of ways he's already stepped up I, i i you know i just think he's he's really special he's probably got the, you know, the, as Clay was talking about, he's got the biggest catch radius on the team. He can, you know, catch more balls in more places. He's got hands that, you know, basically never drop anything. And he's proven to be a real run after the catch guy, uh, you know, this year. Got great body control, as he showed on that touchdown at Arizona where he came around. Uh, a bunch of defenders in the end zone snuck up the, you know, the, you know, the out-of-bounds line and, was open for a split second for, you know, a scrambling Sam to pull up and hit him. Uh, I think Deontay, uh, you know, it's not that there's a drop-off there at all. You know, it's uh, it's just the personal loss of Steven, but uh, I think Deontay's pretty much already stepped up. And, and I think they really like to get Jalen Green onto the field in different ways in different places the more they can and uh, this will move him into that uh, slot spot uh, behind Deontay so uh, so I, I think that you know having all those bodies and all those guys that can play at wide receiver you know it's the one place USC unfortunately you know can really uh, you know handle an injury. Uh, all right, well, let's jump into some of these questions, Dan. We've got a lot of people writing in uh, about the team, kind of wanting to know uh, what's going on. Let's see. Earl in West L.A. said, uh, when USC doesn't give the ball away, they can score a lot of points. Are we as good as we looked against Arizona, or is Arizona that bad? You know, I, I don't think we know uh, for sure. We know Arizona – you know, their quarterback situation obviously has, has been a, an issue. They ended up with, I would call Khalil Tate their number three guy, uh, a great athlete, obviously, uh, you know, a freshman, first start, uh, not a great uh, strong arm, but not a great, you know, passer. 
Uh, but, but I think, you know, that's the Arizona team that took Washington into overtime down there. Uh, you know, they haven't had a very good run defense, but, uh, but they haven't just been getting totally blown out. Like, uh, I mean, basically that game could have been, you know, name the score if you, if you wanted, wanted to. Uh, and, um, so, so I don't think we know. I, all, I think we know is USC went in there and did what they're supposed to do. And they played it, you know, in a temperatures. I don't think we even have any idea what exactly they were on the field, but, um, against a team that to some extent is accustomed to playing in those conditions, USC just looked like they didn't have any fall off at all. I mean, it didn't look like the, uh, you know, the heat even remotely bothered USC, which, uh, I think is a good sign that, you know, this team's in pretty good shape and, uh, and just, you know, playing enough players now and had gotten themselves in, in pretty good shape as we kept saying they did, even though people wouldn't believe us because they were getting their lumps. Uh, I think this is a team that's in pretty good shape, and I think to go in there and handle those conditions the way they did uh, is a pretty good sign. They also handled the the conditions at uh, at Utah pretty well uh, in in general. You know, they, with a couple of exceptions, uh, you know, this is a team that that does seem to be able. Uh, you know, and now they've got a road win to say, uh, you know, that I think you know everything they do is kind of a confidence builder at this point after the start. And you got to look at it as, is is they're all pluses, um, you know, with, with Sam as the quarterback. I mean, I think the biggest boost they got in the Arizona game was the ability, you know, Arizona likes to drop eight back on third and long and like to really drop their linebackers off. And Sam knew that. And, you know, I think we still have guys writing that, oh, the pocket broke down or he had to scramble. He didn't have to, he didn't have to scramble. He, he had three guys to locate who were rushing. As soon as he saw him, he said, what the heck? I can easily get this first down. And that's what he did. I mean, that was, uh, that was not a case of he was scrambling, you know, and, and if you're dropping eight back, chances are you're going to cover up most of the, uh, most of the receivers. I mean, you know, that's what he, if you're lucky, you get five out four or three. Well, they've got eight back. That's a that's kind of a mismatch, but then you've got Sam running against three uh, down linemen. That's also a mismatch, and that's a different that's a, a difference maker for USC against defenses because uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they choose to do now that they've had enough time to really digest what Sam Darnold is doing. I mean, let's face it, he's now the number one quarterback in the country on ESPN's QBR ratings, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson, Louisville's number two and, uh, uh, the Browning kid from Washington's number three, uh, Jake Browning. And then, uh, four is Baker Mayfield from o- Oklahoma. That's pretty good company, uh, you know, for a freshman with just four starts under his belt. So he's been in a pretty special. Yeah. Speaking of Sam Darnold, we had some questions on him. Uh, Stephen Poway says, I love Sam Darnold's heart and athleticism, which were both on display this past Saturday in Tucson. However, I'm really concerned about him getting injured, uh, which I think is very likely if he continues to dive headfirst when tackled instead of sliding feet first like a quarterback. Is there a happy medium where he can be athletic without putting himself in such high danger of being injured? Thanks, Stephen Poway. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think it's you know it's a work in progress. I mean, he was kind of that kind of player in high school, and you do you know kind of learn as you go. Um, and this is all you know kind of new. Uh, I, I thought he he picked up a lot of things. I think Sam is much more cerebral than maybe we give him credit for, and he does really think these things through, even though it looks like man he's just reacting. Uh, you know, so quick, he doesn't even have time to think about it. But but I think the more he looks at it and thinks about it, and the more he sees, uh, you know, the number he had, what, six uh, six carries for 54 yards that first half. So he averaged nine yards a carry. And I think his spatial judgment is pretty good. I mean, one of the reasons he's so good in the pocket, one of the reasons I think he can make quick judgments on, uh, you know, what do I have to do to get to the first down markers, uh, and, and knowing where the defensive guys are, uh, is that he really knows where people are around him. So I don't think he took any big chances the other day because even when he went head first, there wasn't somebody coming at him head first close enough to do him any damage. And we'll see if, if, you know, he takes any, you know, real chances where, where he really exposes himself. I, I don't think he has yet, but, uh, you know, you make a good point. He'd be better off sliding the uh, traditional quarterback slide, and not the uh, you know. I don't know. He did play baseball, so yeah. he ought to be able to. <laughs> he ought to be able to do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Frank in Sacramento wrote in. He said, "All I need to see is Sam Darnold lay a big hit on a defender who picks off one of his passes, and I'll know he's Andrew Luck reincarnated." You know, he may be. In some ways, um, a little more, I don't know if it's the basketball in him or whatever, he just looks like as athletic as Andrew Luck was. Uh, uh, Sam looks like he's got a little lighter feet. He's got a little more bounce uh, in, his, in his feet. But, uh, but a similar kind of, uh, that's, that's probably, and he might have a little bit quicker arm. That, this is not saying he's better than Andrew Luck or any of those com- kind of com- you know, comments. But to say that in, in, in some of the areas, you know, physically, he might actually have, have, have some edges there. He, he got, you know, his skill set's pretty impressive when you watch him, you know, bounce around out there and how quickly he decides to do what he does. And, you know, from the moment he decides to take off or the moment he decides to throw the ball until the time he's taking off or the time the ball leaves his hand, it's pretty darn instantaneous. And, uh, he might have an edge there. His his quick twitch is really quick, and that's um, I'm, I'm I'm kind of blown away. I mean, we all remember the first time we saw him in the summer up close. I hadn't seen him. I had seen him on television. hadn't seen him in personal person in high school. And the first day you saw him uh, at uh, in a Cromwell Field in the summer, you thought, whoa. Oh, look at this. I was, uh, he was doing all those things and I, I was not prepared for him in person to be as good as he was. He just, he was way better than, than I had expected. I mean, just, uh, there, there were so many things he did that he just said, holy cow, that kid, uh, that kid can really play. Yeah. Um, we have a voicemail question. Let me play this for you. Here we go. Hey guys, great job. This is Mike from Lantana, Texas. 
I just wanted to know uh, with who's going to be Sam's Darnold's backup quarterback. Uh, do we have someone on the roster other than Max who can run the offense the way that Sam would run it? I know Max is it for this year, but for next year, do we have someone or do we need to start recruiting people like Sam? Thanks. God bless. Fight on. Hey, uh, let's see, Mike. I don't think anybody's going to come in and run it the way Sam. What You don't want to have to change too much. Um, so if you bring in, uh, you know, if Max is the guy, and Max is the guy that's really running all the second team reps in practice. So Max will be the guy. Uh, you do see them dropping Jalen in. I think for a dual purpose, when they go ones against twos, for example, and he's the quarterback with the twos, one of the way, reasons they do that is to get the ones a chance to see a real athletic quarterback who can take off with the ball on the other side. Uh, could he come in and, 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 and run the offense? Yeah, absolutely, Jalen could. Um, but again, he, he would not also be a, a you know, replicate uh, what Sam does. So I think Sam is in kind of in a place all his own. So I don't know that you can say which will be the least disruptive if you're looking between one or, or the other. And if we're looking at next year, you know, does Matt, you know, if Matt Fink probably gets in the mix. He's, I think, for those of us who've been in practice, he's uh, been, again, I think a little more advanced than we, we thought he would, or at least I thought he would be uh, a little closer to being able to be that guy, you know, next year as well uh, in the mix in terms of, you know, the backup. But, uh, but I think this year it, it, the Mac, Max Brown, it, and you're going to have to uh, adjust a little bit. I think Max will also adjust a little bit to the way they're playing. And you probably saw a little bit of that, uh, you know, Saturday in Arizona. Uh, Curtis wrote in, Dan, he said, on the last show, I heard we were heavily relying on Sam Darnold. He is currently number one in the nation in QBR. The top five is a who's who of college football. Dan talked about that a little earlier. He said all five of those teams would drop off in production without these quarterbacks. We should now go after the best dual threat guys in the nation so we can run this deadly offense with second and third quarterbacks. I like Max, but we ha but we have to change the offense for him, Curtis. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's being made clear uh, the thing that, that having a, a quarterback like Max does is it makes up for a lot of, uh, you know, inefficiencies in the offensive line. Uh, it just, it changes the way people have to defend you and it allows you to, to, uh, you know, get past, uh, things that, you know, with, with Max in there, for example, you couldn't get past, uh, and with an offensive line that, you know, wasn't where USC had hoped it would be and wasn't able to function at the level, you know, you thought maybe with two seniors and three juniors, all of whom had had multiple years starting that, you know, they'd be able to, you know, kind of be, you know, no mistakes and, and physical. And, and that didn't turn out to be the case. Now, obviously, the, you know, getting a matchup to start the year with Alabama, trying to, really prove it. I mean, Alabama came into that game with more to prove in their minds, it seems like, than USC did. 
And uh, so that was a terrible matchup, a terrible way to start. But, you know, then you get thrown back against Stanford, where USC probably should have matched up much better than they did. Uh, So uh, just having a dual threat guy, I mean, uh, Stanford got, I I think they were hoping this year that the two, two big strong guys that they had coming in a quarterback would be able to, you know, replicate uh, what Kevin Hogan gave them. Turns out they couldn't. Kevin Hogan got him a lot of, um, you know, ground with uh, a lot of first downs with, uh, with his feet. And, you know, even though unfortunately USC gave up some of those first downs, uh, nobody else say as much against uh, Stanford. And so uh, USC, I mean, I think the film, that Arizona film is just going to strike fear in the hearts of defensive coordinators. And and I, I, I will be really interested to see what do they do do they not try to drop as many people back? And does that make, you know, life much easier for the USC wide receiving group or, or the tight end? I mean, the other, the other thing that USC is doing now with Sam is they're, they're throwing to the tight ends that he's got really good rapport, obviously with, uh, both Tyler Petit and, uh, and, uh, Daniel Amater baby. And, and again, that changes the look. If you're a defensive coordinator trying to figure out what do I do? Uh, against USC, uh, that gives you a lot of things to think about. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, let's see. We had another one with the quarterbacks from Rex. A lot of quarterback talk today, Dan, but you can understand why. I uh, can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rex said, I was reading Dan Weber's review, and it reminded me of a key point in the game. I think someone made a statement last week about this. But when they bring it, bring in Max Brown, let him get some game time experience. He can practice handing off in practice. He needs game time reps dealing with a pass rush. Also, when a guy like Dominic Davis breaks off a run like that, and we have the ball inside the five yard line, and we run him, and we run him a speed back up the middle four times in a row. Are you kidding me? Uh, reward this guy and get him in the end zone. To me, that's just taking care of your players. Rich Rod is paid plenty to deal with uh, some points being scored on him. And he for sure would have no problem dropping as many uh, on us if he could possibly score that many. Uh, that's from Rex. Yeah, Rex. I think it's always when the game's that lopsided, a difficult decision as to do you just line up and run it straight and don't do what you would normally do, or do you give your guys that are in the game a chance to uh, do some of the things they could be doing in other games when uh, you know maybe there's the game's a little more on the line. I don't, I don't have a good answer, you know, for that. And I, uh, you know, I, I might have liked to try to see, you know, Dominic, uh, um, you know, get a chance to to get wide. You probably don't want to throw the ball there. That that might be interpreted as uh, is not the most sportsmanlike thing to do. You'd like to be able to run the ball into the end zone, and you'd like to be able to get the kind of offensive line play that would allow you to do that. I think that's, I think by doing that, you're challenging, you know, the backup offensive line guys to, you know, make the play and make a case for yourself that, that you should move up the depth chart. So, so I'm not terribly, you know, down on that. I, I'm kind of with Tommy Robinson, the running back coach. He was, I said, what'd you think about that play with Dominic? And he said, I think he should have scored. Uh, so, if you do that, you don't have to worry about running the ball in at the goal line. Uh, Tark had a question. He said, why didn't Clay pull the starters earlier 
in the third quarter. The game was clearly over. I think it's it's not an easy thing to do when you haven't had the opportunity to do it all that much, especially on the road. I, I think that that's one of those, you know, learning experiences that comes with being a head coach. And, and, and obviously, Clay hasn't had that experience very much on the road or with those kinds of leads. So, you know, I think he, obviously most of us were thinking when Juju was down on the ground for a couple of minutes that, uh-oh, uh, <laughs> this isn't going to turn out well. If this is a really serious injury. There will be lots of second guessing here. Uh, you know, maybe a series sooner you could have done it, uh, would have been, you know, fine with me, but I, I think it, it is all, you know, you're three and three, this isn't going to make you four and three. You haven't been there all that much. So, you know, if there's uh, a little bit of uncertainty as to exactly when to pull people, I can kind of understand that it's just something you haven't done. Uh, and you're learning. Learning on the job. All right. Uh, let's see. We had, um, let's do this Pac-12 one. Dave in San Diego, he said, the Pac-12 must do a better job at setting the game times. As bad as it was for the players, it was also punishing for the fans to endure. I traveled to the game to root on the Trojans, but it was unbearably hot, and we had to leave at halftime to cool down. That this game was allowed to kick off at 1230 in 95-degree heat when it was 20 degrees cooler by 7.30 p.m. was illogical and unfair to the players, the students, and the fans. Fight on Dave in San Diego. You're absolutely correct, Dave, 100%. You couldn't be more correct. I mean, I, I think it's it's wrong to uh, – I mean, I think the fans – I mean, it was parents' weekend, and you couldn't get a room within miles of Tucson – and those people got screwed. I mean, you know, going to the game with their kids or whatever. I it was embarrassing to watch people. They have a triple deck on that other side of the stadium, and literally there were the in the hundreds plus the USC band that got stuck up in the corner, and that was it. And you're thinking um, these people were moving over into the shade of the video board. I mean, you could see the last as the shade moved over a little bit. Those open seats would get filled in by fans looking for shade. That's just not the way you, you should have to do, a, you know, a football game. And, you know, for TV to say, well, that's the time we want because we don't have any other slots, stick it there. I think that's really short-sighted on the part of, you know, schools and conferences. And you're losing uh, a fan base that, you know, if, if kids stop going to games when they're in college, they're not going to be your alumni fan base down the road. So I think they're, I think they're making a big mistake chasing a few TV dollars. Um, you know, apparently they announced a sellout crowd. So by the second half, at least half of that sellout crowd wasn't in the stadium or didn't bother to show up at all. And that's, you know, that's, that's giving people a product that they can't use and you're forcing them to buy season tickets with the knowledge that maybe some of these games will be scheduled at a time you can't possibly attend. Um, I mean, I, you know, the um, USC got the break. They're on the uh, shady side of the field, the team was. And, um, and of course, that's where Bruce Feldman was. He was doing the uh, sideline reporting <laughs> for uh, FS1. And I'm looking at Bruce, and he's got this dark suit on, 
<laughs> and he'd been out there for like easily three and a half hours already. We only get down there the last five minutes. And for me, the last five minutes was like intolerable. And we're in the shade. And I looked at Bruce and it looked like he'd already, he was like wearing a damp towel that had already been, uh, you know, uh, where you, uh, you know, squeezed out all of the perspiration. I mean, <laughs> the poor guy, I mean, it's just, first of all, they shouldn't make those guys wear suits on the sidelines uh, of games like that and, and pies. That's uh, that's cruel and unusual punishment. But uh, you're absolutely right that games shouldn't have been played, shouldn't have been scheduled, and it should be a night game. I think it was their first day game. I think, that, uh, according to Michael Lev, all their other games had been 7:30. Gotcha. But uh, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that was a really bad idea. Uh, we had a couple of questions about uh, Clay Helton. I'm going to read you both of them. They're both a little long, and then just kind of get your I'll, I'll lump them together, and then you can get your reaction. First was uh, SoCal Trojan. He said, how's it going, boys? I really appreciate the work you guys do to bring us Trojan fans news and updates on the team. My question is, if the Clay Helton wins out or finishes 8-4, and four, do you think that would secure him for another season at USC? Uh, in a way, Clay Helton didn't fix the issues. It's been the talent and the arm and decision-making of Sam Darnold. To me, Clay Helton was a good coach. Uh, if, if Clay Helton was a good coach, he would take any quarterback and get the same production. Uh, and the fact that he didn't uh, and have that Max Browns did he didn't do that with Max Brown says it all. Granted, it was against solid teams, but we should have been uh, competitive in some way. I really, really hope Clay is not here next season because to me, Clay Helton is not the right coach for this team. And then uh, Eric, Sir Eric of Troy and Rancho Cucamonga said, uh, Ryan, I finally figured out how to articulate what's bothering me about Clay Helton and why I still do not want him to be retained. Under Helton, USC may, USC may win a few games against opponents who are supposed to beat, but that does not mean we will ever be an elite team under him and his staff of mostly on-the-job trainees, in quotes. Uh, my question for you or Dan Weber is, when Lynn Swan evaluates Helton's performance this year, will it be based solely on win-loss record, or will he take into consideration the weak teams we beat and look at uh, where... Uh, we finish nationally and consider where we as a program actually should be. Thanks for all. Uh, thanks for all you do for us fans on the P. We're bored to death during the week, or we'd be bored to death during the week if we didn't have you guys to talk to and listen to between games. Sirik uh, of Troy and Rancho Cucamonga. Whew, hey, <laughs> uh, thanks for the kind words, Sirik, and and for both uh, commenters. I think the thing is, you know, if if Clay finishes eight and four, if he if he wins out and goes nine and three and, and gets into the championship game, uh, gets a pretty decent ball game, I'm I'm sorry, you just can't. I mean, you can't fire a guy because he's not Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or or Tom Herman. I mean, you just can't. Now, if Tom Herman called up and said, "I'm ready to make a move. I'd love to come back to my." you know, Southern California home where I grew up and went to college, blah, blah, blah. And I'll bring Dave Aranda with me, my uh, <laughs> college roommate. Uh, you'd have to say, oh, my, now what do we do? Other than that, I, I just don't know that you can fire someone at USC because USC he's not John McKay or Pete Carroll or Urban Meyer or Nick Saban. I mean, I, I just... And you can go back to what happened last year and say it should not have happened. You can go back to the first four, you know, 
three losses and say, well, they shouldn't have happened the way they did. But if this team, you know, if Clay, for example, if they get their offensive line working far better than they have, if they do, I mean, if you're going to give him, if you're going to say it's all Sam Donald, well, one of the things Clay did is he didn't just install Max as a starter. He also installed this redshirt freshman Sam Darnold with a place in the offense as the red zone guy and as the short yardage guy. And that's pretty remarkable. I mean, you don't see that very often. And I think that did a lot in developing Sam uh, to where he is. I mean, let's face it, they've done some really good things. Sam Darnold wouldn't be where Sam Darnold is if he not been coached up pretty well. I mean, to not give the people who coached him up, uh, you know, the, the credit for that. I mean, I think T, uh, you know, I think T has always, he's loved the way Sam played. He wanted to coach and, and, and coordinate, run the offense for Sam or yeah, for Sam. And I think that's what's playing out. And I, I don't think you can't give them credit for that, or you can't give them credit if I think Clay had a big part in saying to Clancy, we need to play more people after that Utah game. I think there was no question, you know, that was, that was on Clay saying, you know, we can't, you know, that Stanford game they won in 2013 was a wonderful, you know, win, but there aren't going to be many times you're going to win with 13, you know, 12, 13 people on defense against these wide open, up tempo, no huddle, uh, Pac 12 teams that run a lot of plays. Stanford didn't run a lot of plays, but a lot of them do. So I think there are ways in which you're going to evaluate how this plays out the rest of the year. Is it tough to learn on the job at USC? Absolutely. Should you ever have to do that? Probably never. Uh, should you have a coach who has to learn all the things that he has to learn and especially difficult if he's been coaching for people who have some real flaws in the way they see, you know, college football. Uh, but you just have to let it play out, you know, and, and, and I don't think it's good enough at the end of the road to say, well, Urban Meyer would have had a better record or Nick Saban would have had a better record. You know, that's not your choice at this point. Um, you know, it's like those people who argue about, well, you should have never kept Ed Orgeron in that position because what they didn't do with Ed, they did with Clay. But the problem there was when, when it was down to the choice, you had either Ed Orgeron or you were going to go hire Steve Sarkeesian. You weren't going to go hire any of those other people. So there were a lot of people who would say, oh, Ed Orgeron was not the right guy. He was, let me say this, he was way the right guy if you're comparing him to Steve Sarkeesian, who was the other possibility. You know, Chris Peterson wasn't a possibility by then. They didn't want him. He was eliminated. So you had that choice. I think in this case, you've got, you know, you've got Clay Helton, but not against all the people that hypothetically you could put in that spot. Uh, and I know there were a lot of people that probably wanted Brian Kelly uh, of Notre Dame to be a, a consideration. And um, I'm not sure if those people still exist today, but, uh, you know, they were darn sure that he would have been a, you know, a great choice for USC and kind of indicating maybe he, wanted you know out of Notre Dame uh, so so I, I I'm surprised that people were saying even if he wins out 
or wins all but the Washington game or whatever, that you probably got to go in a different direction. You can't go in a different direction. I mean, if, if they would let Clay Helton go after being eight and four, nine and three, you couldn't, it'd be hard to hire a coach here. I mean, with USC's track record in the last few years, uh, whether that, you know, and, and you do have to ask the question, is this the guy that's going to win a national championship for you? Is this guy, this is the guy that's going to dominate the Pac-12 South and be in the championship game almost every year. Uh, those are the expectations. This is USC. Uh, I don't think we have an answer to that question. Uh, Clay has to give us the answer, yeah. and he hasn't yet. But season's not over yet. Uh, we got a couple more for you, Dan. This one's very strange. I don't think this will take very long. Mike said, with Lane Kiffin being uh, back being hot as a coach, would USC ever consider him or Sark for any position ever? No. No. <laughs> I mean, no. That's, sorry, not Mike. Even... That's just kind of silly. No, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I no. talked to. Yeah. No, 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 no. We had uh, Paul no, Meyerberg no. on the show yesterday, um, who was with USA Today, and I thought he did a really good job. If you have listened to that, it's, it's Coach Harvey Hyde the first half of the show, and then Paul Meyerberg the second half, and he talked about some of the jobs. And I think you know we, one of the things we kind of talked about was when Lane Kiffin wanted a head coaching job before. I mean, he was the Raiders coach, Tennessee's coach, and USC's coach. And he got fired by USC. There was no one that was going to hire him at that level anymore. Now he's able to rebuild, you know, being the offensive coordinator for Alabama in the last three years, maybe winning back-to-back titles. Um, you know, I think that allows him to get better jobs. I'm not sure if the jobs he could get will match what he wants. You know what I mean, Dan? Like, it's- Oh, they couldn't possibly. No, he'll never. Unless he can take Nick Saban with him, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's what – I mean, to be honest uh, – we always understood that one of the reasons Monty came with uh, Lane was that Monty was going to be Lane's minder. But, you know, uh, I just don't see that you can get a big-time coaching job if you need a minder. And, uh, you know, Nick Saban can say, you know, I'll take all the good I can get from Lane, but I, I won't allow him to, you know, bring in the rest of the stuff. The problem is when he's in charge, he's there's nobody telling him no, and um, that just doesn't work. And I, you know the same thing with Sark. I mean, I, I talk to coaches who know him pretty well and say basically you're dealing with two offensive coordinators who really that's how they saw their job and that's what they wanted to do, but the only way you get the big bucks and the ability to do what you want to do, you got to be a head coach. And I, I just don't see it I, I, at any level. I just, there are people I just think are not cut out to be head coaches and in charge. And, um, and both of those guys would be people who, you know, NFL uh, offensive coordinators, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. There are a lot of guys that have those jobs that you really wonder what are they doing if you're watching NFL football anymore. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it just it, it is almost inconceivable that 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 question is even out there. Uh, it's just it's crazy. We got one last one. It's our buddy Nick from Cyprus. He said, "My question for Dan Weber: 
Since it's a bye week, and I'm sure you guys have been barded with football questions this season from the hype of the team, Alabama, the fall of Troy, to USC being back, etc., my question will break the mold, and I know Ryan will be surprised by the question. Give me your basketball season update. Prediction, impact players, and tourney, yes or no. Fight on from Nick. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna write about that in the war room this week. I, I got my first basketball magazine uh this week and I was reading I was kinda stunned uh by they have sixty eight teams profile uh, previewed to make it to the NCAA tournament. None of those is USC. And that shocks me. But you know, if I'm from the outside looking at USC, I think what the heck? You had 12 guys who could have come back for this year's team. Six of them chose not to. Two of them, you know, turned pro, didn't make the NBA draft. Four of them transferred. And, you, and I know people were thinking, man, they, won, they got to their NCAA tournament under Andy, and yet half the team left. Just they're ghosts. They're gone. What's going on? And, and, and when you look at, you know, USC's starting five with uh, four returnees, uh, with, you know, with enough height, enough athleticism, uh, enough leadership, all that kind of thing, and a, and, a, and a real good transfer, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, I mean, Oregon's got four starters back, UCLA's got all those great freshmen, but they pick USC six in the Pac-12, and I'm thinking – are they making progress or not? And I think they're going to be better than that. I think you can play with five, you know, six or seven players. It, it isn't ideal, uh, but um, but I was shocked at how little consideration USC seems to have after last year. Uh, I thought they made enough impact. I mean, for example, a guy like Benny Boatwright doesn't make any of the top three preseason. Uh, uh, Pac-12 teams while they pick three UCLA players. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Two of those guys are back from a 6-12 and 12 UCLA team. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, but I've been thinking about basketball, and, and I'm not sure what to make. I still, we still don't know. Why does everybody leave? Why does nobody, you know, except maybe walk-on kids, why are, you know, are seniors? What's going on? I don't know. We've got no explanation exactly as to why there isn't that ability to develop. I mean, if everybody would have come back from last year's team, they, you know, they should be ranked and they should be, you know, a, a starting point if you're looking at who's going to win the Pac-12. But uh, not to be. I don't know what it is with USC and basketball. but Yeah, we'll see. Still, still uh, expectations are high. Um, higher, uh, even with and the loss. And they should be. I mean, they've got you know Chemezi Metu, you know, and uh, um, Betty Boatwright and uh, Jordan McLaughlin back for his third year, and uh, Elijah Stewart, and you know, with his talent, and I guess what is it, uh, the Aaron kid, the transfer from Louisville. I mean, they got some. They got some athletes. Um, so, so we'll see. But, yeah, I think you know one of the hard things. And having covered Kentucky, even when they had good football teams, the expectations were not high. 
and that didn't help them. They would lose to teams in the Southeastern Conference that weren't as good as they were because these were teams that were had very high expectations from their fan bases, uh, much like Kentucky does in basketball. I think the same thing applies at USC, where they just aren't accustomed to having you know fan base with really high expectations. I don't think that would be a bad thing to, you know, I kind of you would have liked to have seen this team have higher expectations than finishing in the middle of the pack of the Pac-12. Uh, I think they're better than that, and the expectations should be higher. There's actually a basketball event. Uh, I think it's invite only. I'm not sure. It was a Wednesday night. There's some kind of kickoff event uh, for the, I think men's and women's. I don't, do you know anything about that, Dan? But you can check it out, Google it or whatever. If you're a basketball, yeah, I'm fan. not sure what the date is on it, but I know it's a, the combination that they always do the men's and the women's. Um, uh, I'm not really big on basketball <laughs> previews because they turn into you know kind of dunkaramas and all that with nobody playing any defense, but um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, it's it's getting here. I mean, it used to be October fifteenth was the start of uh, you know college basketball practice. Now it's October first, and uh, they just keep moving the season up and adding games and you know changing the rules so they can play in tournaments and all that. And you know, if it were up to me, they'd move the season back a little bit and and extend it a little bit more into the spring than have it you know run into football because. So many of those, you know, early season games are just meaningless. Uh, but, you know, nobody listens to me. Uh, <laughs> but it's going to be here quick. So, you know, get ready. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, check him out on uscfootball.com. Does a great job. Thanks, Dan, for coming on and uh, sharing your insights. It was good stuff. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Good questions. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks for all the questions. And thanks to Dan Weber. Hope you guys enjoyed. It's our second show of the week. We'll do at least one more. Uh, maybe we'll do a recruiting one. I'm not sure. we got a bunch more questions to get to, so we'll do some more bi-week podcasting. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Check us out on peristylepodcast.com, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.